Hello, everybody. I'm Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And welcome to Just the Boo of Us. <laughs> you startled me there. Oh, did I? <laughs> I'm your ghost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, post. Yeah, yeah, got it. This is the world's spookiest animal review podcast, where we take the creepiest animals we can find and review them by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we try our best to get the best information. Halloween is almost upon us, dear it listener. Is. You know what? Before we get into our animals, you were telling me about something earlier that I think you should share about the video game that you were playing. Is it called Grounded? Yes. You were telling me about something very on brand and very on theme for both our podcast, which is about animals, and we're also nerds who like video games, and also spooky halloween coming up that's true so in the game grounded you are a small preteen perhaps i think preteen and you are small in a backyard and having to deal with that whole thing well it's not just that you're like small of stature for a person right shrunk like smaller than a a blade of grass one of the conflicts in this game are spiders that are regular sized spiders but compared to yourself are very large As an accessibility option, they have a spider reduction slider. (laughs) This is fascinating to me. A spider slider. (laughs) (laughs) So you can turn down the spider. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So it lets you reduce the spider in ways such as reducing number of legs, removing fangs, uh, eventually reducing it to two spheres (laughs) floating menacingly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have you have you fiddled with this setting just once because uh it actually when you load up the game for the first time it gives you like a pop-up about it so that you're aware so when you say accessibility option in what way is this providing accessibility <laughs> to those who uh experience arachnophobia mm, so it wouldn't be so incredibly unsettling so as to prevent you from being able to enjoy the game. right but not in the way that it would like remove the enemy right sure it's still there as an obstacle yeah Something similar is this game <laughs> called House Flipper, actually. Oh, you've been playing this a lot. Just every once in a while. It's, <laughs> yeah. One of the things in the game is finding cockroach swarms. Uh-huh. And similarly, that's another thing that, you know, skis people out pretty commonly. Sure. So there's an option in that game to turn all the cockroaches into just like shards of glass. Because the idea is a lot of these houses you're having to clean up first. That is interesting to me that like game developers would take insect phobias or like animal phobias mm-hmm. into account and make that an adjustable part <laughs> of your gaming experience. Now, full disclosure, I, I picked up that game through Game Pass because of um, the Besties podcast talking about it. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like something up my alley. They also talked about the spider slider. <laughs> Does the face still look uh, spider-like? Is it still identifiable as a spider? Is it just kind of losing? I don't think semblance? so. If I took like the least spider version and showed it to just some rando, they probably would not identify it as a spider. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. Thank you for that report. Sure. <laughs> That's very festive for Halloween. Uh, I believe it's my turn to go first this week. I trust you. It is my turn to go first this Perfect. week. Perfect. <laughs> say that more confidently. <laughs> we wanted to deliver on the Halloween theme this week. So we strayed 
a bit from our typical animal selection process. So these were not necessarily requested by you fine listeners. It's not that we're not listening and we don't love you. We do. We'll come back for your requests. We definitely didn't lock ourselves out of the spreadsheet or anything. (laughs) I would never. (laughs) Every year around Halloween, we try to do an episode on spooky animals. And and didn't we used to rate them out on spookiness? Look at it as a as a category. That sounds right. We should do that. This Halloween, mine is the Iberian ribbed newt. Mm. Yes. Scientific name Plurodeles waltel. They're also called the Gallipato. Nice. Yeah. I think that's a really cute name. <laughs> Gallipato. But I didn't see anyone using that name outside of like Spanish speakers in Spain. Spanish people call them oh. Gaipato, but it doesn't seem like anybody else Oh, really so this does. is referring to the Iberian Peninsula. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm glad you said that. They are found in the Iberian Peninsula. Okay. <laughs> so uh, kind of the southern half of the peninsula, so like southern Spain, Portugal, right. and then also along the northern coasts of like Morocco, and mostly in still or slow-moving water. They like to kind of uh, hide in like pond vegetation mm. and stuff like that. They are up to a foot long, which is wow. 30 centimeters. That's really big for a newt. Yeah. Yeah, newts typically aren't that big. They're one of the largest in the world, and they are the largest in Europe. Okay. So, pretty chunky guy. Now, that being said, the tail makes up about half of the body. Uh, yeah. Um, but it's a big, big fella, and they're mostly like a light brown color with these dark brown spots all over their body, and then this row of orange spots down each side of their body. Those are important. Remember them. We'll come back to them. Little festive pumpkins lining (laughs) the side of them. So their taxonomic family is Salamandridae, which are the true salamanders. Yeah, I came came across this concept previously. You've talked about a newt before. Yeah. You talked about the rough-skinned newt. Mm -hmm. Um, So all newts are salamanders. Not all salamanders are newts. In general, newts kind of go back and forth between being aquatic and terrestrial. That's right. That was it. Yeah. So like a lot of newts will spend a lot of time on the, on land and then go back to the water yeah. to breed. This one is particularly aquatic, though. This one does not spend a lot of time on land at all. Okay. But if you're not familiar with salamanders, they look like lizards, right? They have a lizard-like shape. You might look at one and think it is just a wet, goopy lizard. Yeah, they got that lizard floor plan. They do. They do. They have the kind of general outline of a lizard, but they're not. They're not reptiles. They're amphibians. So they are related to frogs, um, which is where you kind of get the face. Yeah. They have the frog face, I think. Kind of middle ground between a frog and a lizard. Right. So to get right into ratings for this newt. I'm excited. First up is effectiveness, which is, if you've never listened to this podcast before, is physical adaptations to the animal's body that let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. I'm giving the Iberian ribbed newt 9 out of 10 for effectiveness. And the reasons I gave it a 9 out of 10 for effectiveness, I think if I gave you 100 guesses, you wouldn't guess what's going on with this newt. Just to kind of cut right to the meat of it. Yeah. When they're threatened, so if something is trying to prey on this newt or something is bothering it, the newt will, first of all, excrete this thick, milky poison goop. So they just ooze poison right yeah. off the bat. Yeah. Like They're like, please don't. And so if that's not enough, which you'd think it would be, but if it's not enough, they arch their back 
And what do you think I'm about to say? I if think you have I, one guess. I think I remember. You what think this you is. know what this is? Yeah, but I also don't want to spoil it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <So> they, <laughs> they arch their back and they push their rib bones yeah. forward. <laughs> which is like of all the parts of your body you could be using defensively. Why your ribs? Why? <laughs> so they hoist all of their ribs forward and they're moving, they're bending the bones forward. Yeah. So the bones are like, the rib bones are like hinged almost to the vertebra. They lean them forward using muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, so point them up towards their head, making them splay out to the side at about 92 degree angle. So they're actually fully leaning forward, right? Not back towards their tail like they normally are. But the ribs also kind of like flare outward. So they kind of like swoop out (laughs) and they're extremely sharp. Yeah. So what the effect that this causes is that the rib bones push against those orange spots that I mentioned earlier. So those orange spots down the side of their body Uh are these kind of like warts and the rib bones push through them puncture them, pierce them completely, and erupt from the sides of the newt. So the newt is now lined with spikes that are fully (laughs) pointing out of their body. Right. So um, suddenly spikes, (laughs) which is like the last thing you expect when handling a newt, right? Yeah. I feel like for a predator, that must be kind of like when you're like eating a bowl of mac and cheese and suddenly there's like a crunchy in there. And you're like, no, <laughs> this is bad. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When you get like a wrong texture and you're like, this can't continue. <laughs> <laughs> so that's horrifying. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, we both have colds. Um, so if our voices sound weird, that's why. So they they puncture through the skin completely, which sounds like it's not an awesome idea when you're also excreting poison at the same time. Because the skin is supposed to keep the poison out of your body. But you're adding poison damage to your piercing weapon. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you do take that sort of, that that is a cost-benefit analysis you have Uh to run. So they pierce through the skin. But here's a good thing. The research found that the newts don't suffer from their own toxins, suggesting that they are immune to their own poison. Well, that's good. You'd have to be, right? Yeah. This would not have been a trait around for very long otherwise. Right? (laughs) So, I mean, that's good, right? That they're not envenomating themselves uh, when they use this ability. I'm sure it still doesn't feel good. Also, their skin does uh, secrete antimicrobial peptides to keep their puncture wounds from getting infected. Take that, Mercer. Exactly. Mercer who? Never met her. <laughs> Never heard of her. So, uh, yeah, they, they do seem like they're pretty well suited against, you know, introducing any sort of negative effects into their own body from this. And all of that I got from a paper titled, Hurt Yourself to Hurt Your Enemy, New Insights on the Function of the Bizarre Anti-Predator Mechanism in the Salamandrid Pleurodeles Waltel. And that was by Egon Heiss et al. in the Journal of Zoology in July of 2009. So the this kind of like suddenly spiky ability is very reminiscent of the X-Man Wolverine. Yes. But as any fan of Wolverine knows, that's not really his main power, and that his main power is regeneration, right? Like, he can, like, heal his body super fast, right? Oh, yeah, that's probably the most important, because it's, 
So it's some X-Men lore. So Wolverine did not start out with metal claws, but he did start out with bone claws. Mm. And then later, some science-y stuff happened, adding metal to the picture. Okay, but the regeneration is kind of the bigger deal, right? Yeah, for sure, because he's like, you know, taking headshots with a a gun. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of the thing that's giving him the, the real, like, superhuman edge. That's true. Right? I guess you can have claws... pointy stuff all day long. Yeah, the claws are just cake. You can just carry knives. Like, you can just have knives. Like, that doesn't necessarily give you a big advantage, yeah. right? The snoot also has these regenerative powers. So, like Wolverine and also like many other types of salamanders, the Iberian ribbed newt is excellent at healing itself. So, in addition, we talked about this with the axolotl, that they've been heavily studied right. for their regenerative abilities. But similar to the axolotl, the salamander can regrow lost limbs. They can regrow parts of their brain, which is an incredibly complicated process, right? Like, they can basically, whatever you do to them, they can kind of grow back. Right. Um, they're very good at regenerating. Uh, the drawback to this is very much like Wolverine. Every time they shink their little ribs out yeah. and then fold them back up, the wounds heal. And then every time they use the ribs, they have to re-pierce them all over again every time. That's unfortunate. Right? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Wolf- in Wolverine's case, that hurts every yeah, time, Yeah, it right? does. It does. It kind of... Explain some of the demeanor, I suppose. <laughs> That's why he's so mean. <laughs> that way he's so cranky all the time. <laughs> yeah, so like newts also have to re-pierce their skin every single time they want to defend themselves with spikes. Right. Just commit to the spikes at that point, you know? Put them on the outside. Just leave them out. Well, they have a purpose to to perform as ribs, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's easier ways to do this, is what I'm saying. You can do this without mangling yourself on a daily basis. So I'm, I'm sorry to break the streak, but there is a Naruto character <laughs> <laughs> that I believe is inspired by this. Okay. Who's that? Uh, I can't actually recall his name. It's something like Kimimaro, something like that. The guy's whole thing is using bones as weapons. You. <laughs> oh, did you did you look it up? I did. Is this your boy? That is. Yeah, that's that's him. Uh, well, this is actually exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I believe there's an inspiration there. I definitely see it. Yeah, for sure. My pop culture tie-in for this animal is actually where I got the idea to talk about it this week in the first place, which is that I was talking to our friends over at the PokeScience podcast, which Mm -hmm. is a podcast all about all the science you can learn from Pokemon. And while I was talking to them, they brought to my attention this newt, which I had kind of like heard of, but I hadn't really given a ton of thought to. The upcoming Pokemon games take place in a region called Paldea. And Paldea is heavily based on Spain. Right. So you're seeing a lot of, like, Spanish-influenced Pokemon designs for this game. And something they've been doing in some of the more recent generations is for the new regions, they're doing, like, redesigns of old Pokemon as regional variants. Mm -hmm. The Paldean variant of Wooper. So Wooper, by the way, is a Pokemon that's based on a newt. It's got these like branching gill structures that resemble a larval salamander. So Paldean Wooper is a poison and ground type. Uh, It is brown. Yeah. It has a, like a rib cage design on its belly and instead of those branching gill structures coming out of its head, it's bones. Nice. 
It's got to <laughs> yeah, be yeah. this one, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's got to be the Iberian ribbed newt. I just think that's really, really cool. That is cool. Like, you get all those different elements of the actual animal in the mm-hmm. Pokemon design. Super cool. So that's my pop culture reference. So, yeah, like, the, the regenerative ability is awesome for healing yourself and not dying every time a minor inconvenience happens to you. But it could kind of make you have to endure the same injury over and over and over and over again, which is not ideal. So this regenerative ability has been put to the test um, in scientific context. What, how do you think the sentence is going to (laughs) end? Where do you think I'm going with this? Um, I'm imagining those commercials where you see like a mattress maker testing their mattress, like by using a machine to simulate thousands of bounces on. It. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not it, though. Do you think there's just like a newt slapping machine out there? <laughs> Activate. No, uh, the the response I was looking for was in space. No, uh, huh. <laughs> said all right (laughs) that's what i said when i was looking through uh like papers that i could read about this and i came across like archive of nasa technical documentation on like an analysis of space flights that contained these newts i was like i didn't think i was gonna come across nasa during this it seems like so many of those are just does it work in space so the Iberian ribbed newts were first sent to space on board Cosmos 1667, which was a research satellite that was launched in 1985. It contained rhesus macaques, rats, guppies, and some plants to show, basically to see what would happen. What country launched this? Actually, this was like a joint research mission oh. through like nine different countries. So like USA was in on it. Russia was in on it. I think the UK was in on it. There was like a lot of different countries huh. that all like collaboratively cooperated on this. So like a lot of the papers that I found were like in English and Russian. Interesting. Yeah. But that was not the only time they've been. This species of newt has been sent up like a bunch of times over the years. So there's a few reasons for that. They're actually great research models because first of all they can delay pregnancy so like they can like inseminate a female newt Uh and then she can hold on to the sperm and not fertilize not become fertilized until months later yeah so they could inseminate a newt on the ground and then once she's up in space, then they can initiate the actual like fertilization and watch the entire gestation. So you can see an entire like fetal development that occurs entirely in microgravity, huh. which is fascinating. Right. And also because they regenerate so well. So you can basically, there's a lot of things you can test there. You can see like, is it different when they regenerate in space? Like, what's going on here? And so that's kind of what they were studying. They were studying, like, the effects of microgravity on their development and their regeneration. And the results were really interesting. Um, the studies on a Russian biosatellite showed that the newts regenerated tissue in their tails and eyes much faster in space. So when they were in microgravity in space, they were healing much quicker than they were on the ground which is really interesting. One of the like suggested reasons for like why they would be healing faster in space suggested that maybe they were stressed out and that some hormone produced in the body under stress was causing them to heal more quickly because when you're stressed out and like your body's kind of hyped up, like, Oh no, something's going wrong. Sometimes some of your systems get kind of kicked into overdrive 
And so your body can begin like physiologically responding to stress. So I think maybe it was a hormone induced like stress response. Mm. Um, very interesting, like that it could just be that they were freaked out and healed faster because of that. And that, by the way, uh, that source for that was a paper called Eurodelian Amphibians in Studies on Microgravity Effects Upon Organ and Tissue Regeneration. And that was by Eleonora and Gregorian et al. And that was in Advances in Space Research in November 2002. Hmm. So very, very interesting. I did not think space travel was going to appear in this episode. (laughs) But here we are. We've got newts in space. And... (laughs) On Wikipedia, there's like a whole little section about this. And there's a photo of a couple of these little newts. And it has like one of my favorite photo captions I think I've ever seen in Wikipedia. It says, Iberian ribbed newts in an aquarium. And then in parentheses, on Earth. (laughs) 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 Which made me, was very charming to me that they had to specify. So uh, I was just delighted by the idea of little space newts floating around in a little research vessel in space. The next category that we rate animals on is ingenuity, which is behavioral adaptations that let the animals solve problems that they face or uh, thrive in their world. I'm giving this new to five out of 10 for ingenuity. Um, and I that's only really because I have to count like erupting your ribs out of your body as a behavioral like a defensive behavior, mm-hmm. which is like, I guess if you have no other tools in your belt, like, right. It seems like a desperate move, yeah. doesn't it? It seems like I have no other options, Ugh! you know, like you just <laughs> hulk out, I guess, to uh-huh. shove your bones out of your body. But other than that, there's just not much going on behind those sweet little eyes. Imagine, yeah. just, I find this to be the case with a lot of amphibians. Mm-hmm. And I, I find this to be validated by people I know who have owned and raised amphibians or have spent a lot of time in close proximity to amphibians. There's just no, no thought. Eat bug. <laughs> That's it. They're just, they're, they're uniquely focused. They're ultimately just, they're unconcerned with the trivial matters of our material world. (laughs) Maybe they're just so, like, brilliantly transcended from our universe that, like, they're operating on a higher plane of existence than we are, and we just can't tell. Maybe, but... You look into those sweet little eyes and you tell me there's complex thought going on in there. You see, the the self-stabbing is really just a morality test Mm. to see if the violence is worth it. Oh, I see. (laughs) So, yeah, I really didn't have a ton to go off of. Uh, A lot of people keep these as pets and say that they can have very, like, unique personalities and that, you know, they can be very different from each other and have distinct, like, preferences from each other and stuff. That I absolutely do not doubt. I'm certain of that. But are you going to be sending one to Harvard? No, probably not. It, it makes me wonder, though, what, what will instigate it doing its bone attack? In the paper that I was reading about this, they poked it with a Q-tip. That's it? Pretty much, yeah. Huh. They just poked it. And they, you know, they're like, don't like that. Doorbell rings. <laughs> That's true. I would be worried about keeping one in captivity because like, I would be worried about like unnecessarily causing them to right. rupture their skin. And finally, for aesthetics, which is self-explanatory how nice this animal is to look at, I'm giving the Iberian ribbed newt an 8 out of 10 for aesthetics. Mm. I find them very cute, Um, especially as larvae, because 
uh, as babies, like any baby salamander, they have these feathery external gills. So like if you think of an axolotl, an axolotl is just a special salamander that never grows up. Like it never leaves its larval form. That's why it retains those external gill structures. Mm -hmm. But like all other salamanders, this one has those fluffy gills. Uh, it just grows out of it. Once it becomes an adult, it metamorphoses, loses the gills. But even as adults, they have a really sweet and trustworthy face. <laughs> they have like a big, wide, blunt snout. And they have those little like toad eyes that are just so peaceful. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're very, they're very sweet. They don't look like they could hurt a fly. They're so blissful. And also, you know, they have those, like, dark brown spots and, like, leopard print. It never goes out of style. It's always in. <laughs> I would say if I came across one of these without having heard about one, seeing it do its bone thing, I would just assume it's severely and unfortunately injured. Yes, I'd be like, this one is haunted and <laughs> cursed, and there's a poltergeist happening. Yeah. And we need an exorcism for this dude. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty terrifying, but also bones erupting from the flesh this is very like it's it's zombie you know a zombie apocalypse very spooky on theme well it's it's very just it's it's like deep in that brain right like see bone outside of body bad thing do not go there <laughs> bone go in bone out bad <laughs> something has gone terribly awry <laughs> that part i don't give high aesthetics for it but uh, <laughs> under normal circumstances when they're just in their element vibing flourished moisturized in their lane focused they're extremely cute peaceful mode i could definitely see why people keep them as pets they're 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 adorable okay and finally that brings me to their conservation status the iucn red list has them as near threatened tourism along the coasts of their range has really pushed them inland a lot more so they used to be found in more coastal regions but as that area has been developed for tourism uh, everybody wants to go vacation, you know, on the Mediterranean coasts and such. So you can imagine a lot of that area got developed. Um, so drainage and development of aquatic habitats uh, is giving them a lot fewer and fewer places to live in the wild. There's also invasive species like bass and crawfish that prey on the eggs and larvae of the uh. newts. So before they have time to develop those defense mechanisms, you know, invasive species that that come in and gobble them up can be a real threat. Um, like I mentioned, they're popular pets. They're easily cared for and bred in captivity. Uh, but all of the ones that you're going to see in the pet trade are captive bred. Right. So, you know, if you love them, I, I would highly recommend looking into, you know, conservation efforts that could actually preserve the wetlands that the wild newts need to survive. Hmm. And that is the delightful little creature, the Iberian ribbed newt. Oh, I was going to give it a spookiness rating. Yeah. I'm going to get give this one like a 10 i think for spookiness obviously in its bone mode oh, yes in bone mode i'm gonna we should probably use something else there <laughs> no you already said it it's already in there because i think it's got poison it's uh -huh. slimy it's bones poking out where bones shouldn't be poking out uh yeah i just think it's got it all and then when i think of newts i think of like newts as like spooky potion recipe ingredient sort of thing oh yeah 
Any any research into the Eye of Newt topic? No, I don't know what that is. Okay. <laughs> I assume a literal Eye of Newt. I, it might as well be. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it might be a name for something else, though. It probably is. Oh, wait, hold on. I have the Archive of the World's Knowledge at my fingertips. The first Google result when you type in Eye of Newt is from the RuneScape wiki. Oh, boy. I don't think that's what you want. <laughs> And then HowStuffWorks.com says, I have Newt is simply the seeds for a popular hot dog topping. I don't think that's it either. (laughs) Hold on. Dictionary.com has it. This is just make stuff up day. Okay. Dictionary.com says, most people agree that I of Newt refers to a mustard seed. Oh. Herbalist would often reference body parts when describing parts of plants. An eye is a seed, and mustard seeds are dark yellow like the eyes of some newts. Okay. So that's what dictionary.com says. We wanted it to sound spooky, and mustard seeds aren't spooky. <laughs> <laughs> so this was from, they were specifically talking about the famous sort of incantation from Macbeth. The like double, double, toil and trouble, and so on and so forth. Uh, so I guess Shakespeare himself was like, mustard seed, lame. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call it Eye of Newt, <laughs> weirdo. So that's the Iberian ribbed newt. Thanks, honey. Thank you. Let's uh, take a quick break to hear from our friends on the MaxFun Network, and then we'll get to your animal. All right. I'm Jesse Thorne. On the next Bullseye, our annual Halloween Spectacular. We'll interview Anna Fabrega from Los Espookies, Monet Exchange from Drag Race, and the great R.L. Stein, creator of Goosebumps. You know, I don't really get too deep into the real fears. It's a lot safer to do a dummy coming to life. That's on the next Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy Brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother, and Me. So, my love, what horrifying, grotesque beast do you have for us this week just a little spooky a little bit i'm bringing the ghost shark also known as elephant fish mm. scientific name calorinchus milii hi it's me editing this episode i wanted to clarify something real quick ghost shark is a common name that's used for chimeras in general even though in this segment christian is talking specifically about the australian ghost shark which is also called the elephant fish the name ghost shark is used to refer to other types of chimeras as well like the deep sea chimera or the ratfish We also aren't talking about the 2013 horror film Ghost Shark, which received an audience score of 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, back to it. Some people would argue that Ghost Shark, the name itself, is two for two on Spooky. Yes. If you're 
I have scared of sharks. Unfortunate news, though. Not a ghost. Uh. Not a shark. Aww. <laughs> we uh, we're zero for two on this one. <laughs> so I'll be getting my information from the Florida Museum at floridamuseum.ufl.edu, as well as Animal Diversity Web. So let me talk about what the ghost shark looks like. Yes, please. So in terms of size, their max length uh, is around 120 centimeters or 47 inches, but their average is more like half that. That's not big for a shark, I don't think. No, it's not. But then once you once again you said they are not sharks. Yeah. So I suppose I should just respectable fish. I suppose all the information about sharks in my brain and deposit them directly into the trash can. Kind of put them off to the side for now. Okay. Where they're found is off the southern coast of Australia and off the coasts of Tasmania and New Zealand. Okay. So that's in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, depths mostly 30 to 200 meters or about 100 to 650 feet, but can be found deeper than 600 meters or about 2,000 feet. Now, this belongs to the taxonomic order Chimeriforms. So they are a chimera. Not in the mythological sense. No. But in the fish sense, <laughs> you'll often see these depicted in deep ocean documentaries or rover video. Chimeras in general, not specifically this species. Sure. But a lot of the chimeras are kind of relegated to the deep ocean. We saw one. Yes. Uh, was it California? Yeah, in the Monterey Bay Aquarium. We okay. saw a chimera uh, swimming around in one of their... In, mm-hmm. in, I think it was in the deep sea exhibit. It's right? a good chance it might have been this particular species. <gasps> I, I couldn't find what specifically it was, but it's a good chance. Nice. Chimeras are a cartilaginous fish. The, their skeleton is mostly made of cartilage rather than bone. Uh, so a lot of cartilaginous fish, like sharks, you know, entire skeleton made of cartilage with the exception of their teeth. So when you say cartilage. Flexible, spongy material. Uh, humans have it um, in their joints and some other places. I think your ears are made of cartilage. Yeah, sure. the tips of your nose, that kind of stuff. So if you want to feel what a shark skeleton feels like, mm-hmm. just kind of bend your ear <laughs> around a little bit. I don't think like it's that. that flexible, but it's it's that same kind of material. Now, I mentioned they're not sharks. However, chimeras are a relative of sharks and rays. They actually belong to the same class, the same class that the bowmouth guitarfish belongs to. Oh, so we're not straying too far from the path. Right. They split off from that common ancestor of sharks nearly 400 million years ago. So that would predate dinosaurs by at least 150 million years. So they've been kicking it since the olden days. Yes. So they've survived, I think, five extinction events. They're extinction proof. (laughs) It would seem so. Although, you know. I suppose we're testing that. Past performance being an indicator of future performance and all. (laughs) So kind of digging right into our categories of effectiveness. I'm giving a 10 out of 10. Really? They're just super good at what they're doing. It sounds like it. They'd have to be, right? (laughs) They've had 400 million years to get it right. Yep. So something I found interesting is they are the slowest evolving of all known vertebrates. So when you say slowest evolving. Yes. Uh, So this comes from the paper, Elephant Shark Genome Provides Unique Insights into Nathostome Evolution. That's by Venkatesh, Lee, Ravi, et al. In the Nature Journal, number 505 in the year 2014. So that means it's changed so little uh, during the time that it's been around. It was actually the first cartilaginous fish to have its entire genome sequenced in 2013. 
Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's been a good, I think, a, a model species to look at the evolution of vertebrates. That's true. I guess if they've been kicking it relatively unchanged for that long, you can. it's like having a little glimpse into the past. Right. And it's even more so than the coelacanth, for example. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And the coelacanth is the one that people think of when you right. think of, like, you know, a living fossil, right? right? Yeah. You think of coelacanth that, like, you look at it and you it feels like it's not from our time. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the chimera kind of does, too. When you look at them, they don't feel quite right. Right. They're very, they're pretty unique. I guess I should really kind of talk about what they look like. What do they look like? <laughs> so kind of similar to the guitar fish, you know, they have a very shark-like structure where it starts to differ is in the head and face. <laughs> Things go yeah. real whack in the head and face department. So it's more fish in the head. Its back dorsal fin is larger relative to the front um it's pectoral fins uh instead of like being rigid and pointed kind of at a downward angle they're more splayed out to the sides Mm -hmm. and they're also used for locomotion so whereas a shark is doing like a a full body wiggle basically yeah they're just kind of moving their tail to push them through the water whereas chimera are using their pectoral fins so what would be analogous to arms uh, to do the majority of that locomotion. So they're doing like a, a wing beating, basically. Is this why they looked so weird mm-hmm. in that tank that we saw them in? I think so. It's because you know, they have the body that would kind of make you think of a shark, but mm-hmm. the fins are very different because you know, shark fins are generally very stationary and mostly used for direction. That's true, yeah. The chimera stands out in my memory of that trip to the aquarium because I remember us looking at it and being like, what is happening here? <laughs> because the way it swims is so bizarre looking. Right. It looks like it's like rowing through the water. You know mm. what I mean? And and whereas I think with most fish, they just kind of swim forward. The chimera was kind of doing a zigzag almost. It was c- making this rowing motion with its fins. So as it swam, it was mm. like bobbing up and down. Because of the way that its pectoral fins were, like, Uh, flapping in the water. So it it looked like it was kind of zigzagging through the water. It was very bizarre. Yeah. So that's what they kind of look like. Oh, their head's weird, too, isn't it? It is. So they have very high-set eyes. (laughs) Yeah, they do. (laughs) And with this one's mouth in particular, uh, where did I put it? There it is. Called a snout club is the way I put it. It's this little dangly bit that comes off of what would be their nose uh, that looks like a it's plow shaped um, and it's used for finding prey and sand. <gasps> like a little metal detector. Right. So this little snout plow has you know a bunch of the pores that we're used to seeing in other f- kinds of fish, especially sharks, that help them sense movement and also uh, electrical fields. Mm. So this helps them find prey that's hiding in like sand. Because they can detect things like motion and heartbeats. Yeah. Things beyond just like sight and sound. Right. Uh, So I mentioned their dorsal fins. Their front dorsal fin has a spine. Mm. Yeah. Uh, So it's serrated. Yeah. So people that fish these have to be very careful of that because it can give you a nasty puncture. Oh, man. Uh, I saw some places say it's venomous. I could not find anything conclusive that it's actually venomous. Huh. So take that with a grain of salt. (laughs) I don't think it needs to be, personally. (laughs) What you're describing to me is a a ghost shark with a poison knife. (laughs) Next thing, in their mouth, it's interesting. So... (laughs) We had this realization with the, with the guitar fish, mm-hmm. but this one has tooth plates instead okay. of teeth. 
we're back in weird mouth territory. So the top plates are sharp while the bottom plate is flat for crushing. Okay. And that top jaw is fused to its cranium, which is different from sharks. Oh. Because their their jaws are not fused to like the skull area. That top jaw is kind of stuck in. Right. Whereas with a lot of video sharks, when they go to bite something, you can see their whole mouth just like extend. They kind of slingshot that jaw. Especially with the goblin shark that we talked about (laughs) a long time ago. Yeah. But they can't do that though. No, they can't. Interesting. Uh, I have a picture for you to see. Oh boy. Is this going to inflict psychic damage upon me when I see it? So with this picture, you can see its little nose thing, and that's also what its mouth looks like. This is incomprehensible. Right? So you're looking at it from below. Okay. It's like you're looking up the nostrils of a nose, basically. I can see its boogers. (laughs) No, that's a joke. I can't. I don't think it has boogers. Okay. None of these shapes make any sense to me. (laughs) This is bizarre. This this looks like abstract art. I feel like I'm looking (laughs) at a Georgia O'Keeffe painting. So why do you say that? More on that later. No. Now. Oh, more on that now, immediately. So they are oviparous, Uh which means uh, they fertilize internally and then lay eggs, and then the the young hatch from those eggs. Love it. Right. Versus other animals in this class that are in eggs, but they hatch inside the mother and then are birthed that way. Mm Mm-hmm. So these lay leathery egg cases, and it takes a while for them to develop, but once they finally hatched, uh, they're fully developed when they hatch. Oh. So they're basically just tiny miniature adults when they hatch. I I love it when animals are, like, <laughs> born like this, when they're just like a, like, you took one in Photoshop and just scaled it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and made no other changes. <laughs> whale sharks are born like this too. Right. <laughs> like if you took a picture of a baby one without anything next to it to give you a sense of size, right. you'd have no idea. Especially what Bethesda did in Fallout 3 when you were a baby in the in the intro. Like if you if you hacked it in a way that you could get third person, you would see you were just a full like the adult model just scaled down. <laughs> Uh, and here's a picture of what that egg case looks like. Okay. No. <laughs> That's obscene. <laughs> what is that? That's the egg case. This is spooky Halloween stuff. <laughs> this, this looks like you could buy it at Spirit Halloween with all the other Halloween decorations. Yeah. So it starts out like a light yellow brownish color when they're laid, but then as they are out in the water, they darken into this black color. Fascinating. I imagine that helps with the camouflage. Spooky. Right. It's very goth. Mm-hmm. They are smooth in all directions. Uh, so no denticles. Didn't call it denticles this Good time. Good job. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> uh, so this is another differentiator with sharks, right? Where lots of sharks have denticles and uh, having that sandpapery feel to yeah. their skin. So earlier I mentioned there's a good chance the one we saw in the aquarium being this species. Yes. Again, I don't know. I don't have very good memory of that. But I've mentioned that is because this species has a better tolerance for salinity variants than other chimera species. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Does that make it easier to, like, transport and put in captivity and stuff? I think so. And it also gives them a better range of water column travel. Mm. Where a lot of chimera are probably relegated to the deeper depths because they have to be in that Oh, sure. setting. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then my final thing, uh, another thing that separates them from sharks, uh, they have single gill slits. Really? Right. Rather than like... Several, like a, sharks A do. row of them? Mm-hmm. Just the one gill slit? Yep. That seems... Well, okay. I was going to say like that seems 
not like a great idea because I feel like having multiple gill slits gives you more like surface area f- to get like air out of, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what the gills are for, for the, yeah. the water to pass over them and extract air from them. Right. I don't know. Maybe they just don't need as much oxygen. Oh, sure. It would be a good uh, deep dive yeah. topic. Uh-huh. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Our next category of ingenuity, I'm giving a six out of ten. There's not much on this. <laughs> Perhaps not surprising about a fish. I didn't get a super uh, brilliant vibe from the one that I was uh, face-to-face with sure. in the aquarium. Just a couple things here. Uh, there's little, if any, parental investment. Good for her. So they just kind of lay lay the eggs and then peace out. She said, hope this goes good for you. Right. Goodbye. <laughs> they do have seasonal migration for mating purposes. And when they're not reproducing, it seems that males and females are s- segregated from each other. Really? Yeah. Boys only. <laughs> club. <laughs> At the snout club. For aesthetics, I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. So one thing I didn't mention about its look, its scales are like a silvery metallic with blotches of dark kind of thrown in there. And what it looks like when you see them underwater is it kind of mimics a mirrored surface. Really? Yeah, especially when they're close to the sand. Huh. Yeah. It's like a reflective... It has that sheen of, like, aluminum foil. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But it's also, the coloration is kind of matching its surroundings in in an interesting way. Is this where the ghost shark names come from? I think so, yes. The silvery color. It does sound very ethereal. Mm -hmm. It sounds uh, otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of looks like something that's trying to be transparent. Kind of like opacity set to 50%. (laughs) Sort of like... But then that's kind of, you know, how Mm -hmm. ghosts are often showed in in cartoons and stuff, right? They'll be like sort of semi-transparent. Right. Uh, The snout is different and a little off-putting. Most chimera don't have that snout. And like I mentioned earlier, they have those large, high-set eyes that are apparently green. I saw that referenced. Uh, uh, I I didn't see it in the pictures I saw, but... It's probably difficult to uh, get a picture of sure. in the right light. Yeah. And yeah, so in terms of conservation, they are of least concern as of uh, IUCN assessment done in 2015. And in the areas that they are caught, they are often sold as part of fish and chips. Mmm. <laughs> When you say fish and chips, for American listeners, this means fried fish and french fries. Yes. Uh, We call chips something different. (laughs) (laughs) But you can just eat these guys? Yeah, they're good. I mean, yeah. There's easier things to eat, aren't they? They're not that bad. I mean, you just have to avoid that spine on their back. That's true. (laughs) That's 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 about it. (laughs) Yeah. I I know you would try them. I would, for sure. Yeah. How scrumptious. (laughs) That's the ghost shark. Thank you, my darling. That was great. Oh, spooky. Uh, oh, yeah. How spooky is it? Seven. Okay. Seven out of ten. That's decent. That's pretty fair. <laughs> it is a ghost. It lives in the deep sea, right? I feel like living in the deep sea gives it a spooky buff. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would be a different experience to if I came across one of these without having done this research about it. Mm. Like this being presented to me fresh in the wild would right. be maybe a little different. Once again, I think we've said this with a deep sea creature before, but if you come across one of these, you already have bigger problems than this <laughs> fish. <laughs> You're already in a be- in well, a spooky situation. I mean, this one is, you know, can be found relatively shallow waters. Yeah. But yeah. There are spookier things <laughs> that can for sure that you could for sure come across. Yeah. That was great. Thank you so much, babe. Mhm.
And thank you to our listeners who have tuned in and spent this time with us today. I appreciate you all for coming along this journey with us. I hope you have a safe and happy Halloween. Uh, if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a good review on your podcatcher. We really appreciate all the kind words that y'all leave behind for us, like a very kind five-star review from Cats Rule Obvi, Heart Heart, <laughs> on Apple Podcasts, um, who says, I absolutely love this podcast and the diversity of animals they talk about. Every episode is very interesting and you guys are very funny. Absolutely recommend this podcast. It's very kind. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, if you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord. Uh, you can also send me an email at ellen at just the zoo of us dot com if you have an animal you'd like to hear us talk about. And thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network with your other wonderful shows like Comfort Creatures, which I was just on last week. So go check them out. I talked about our pets. I talked about other pets that I've worked with. I talk about animals that should and should not be pets. Mm. Uh, We had a really nice time over on Comfort Creatures. So go check that one out over at MaximumFun.org. And thank you, Louis Zong for our theme music which is very pleasant and perfect and chill vibes and so good (laughs) and that's all for this week thanks bye bye MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.